Thank you very much for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire here at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant filled life. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this sermon. You will turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter uh, 7. We're going to return back to our series in Acts, which we had uh, left back before Thanksgiving. And uh, we went into a series for Christmas and then uh, wanted to work through uh, some messages in January and the first part of February that were focused on who we are as uh, a church. If you were not part of those messages, would encourage you to go back and to uh, listen to them if you have time uh, so that you can kind of get an understanding of, of who we are and what God is calling us to do as a people uh, together. And so it's time for us to come back uh, to uh, the book of Acts. It is important for us, I believe, to go uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, uh, through the word of the Lord. Uh, In the book of Acts particularly, we get to see what was going on in the early church, what was happening uh, in the early church, how they formed, what they did, those who were closest to the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, and how they Uh, lived in a community of faith. And that's why I believe it's important for us to go through the book of Acts. And uh, by God's grace, we'll continue uh, through this series in the spring and summer up and through um, projecting at this point uh, into the month of September. So I encourage you to continue to read through this book. Uh, Come on Sunday morning, knowing where we're going. Uh, so that you can pray and God can speak to you uh, through his word. If you would stand with me and let's begin at Acts chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Speaking of uh, Stephen, we'll kind of catch up here in just a minute. The high priest said to him, are these things so? And Stephen said, hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, He promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect, that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land, and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham became the father of Isaac, And circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the reading of your word. We thank you, God, for your grace, which speaks to each one of us. And I pray now, Lord, through the preaching of the gospel, God, that uh, this church, this body, this assembled group of believers, uh, each one of us would be built up in you. God, that we would be faithful hearers and doers of the word. And we just thank you, God, again for this time together. And we ask that you would move upon us by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And you may be seated. If we were to kind of go back and sort of pick up uh, where we uh, left off uh, and at, at the end of Acts chapter 6, and uh, before I move into that, just if you have uh, children uh, through the age of five with you this morning, they're welcome to be dismissed. We do have uh, care for them. If you would like for them to utilize that, you're welcome to dismiss them to the back of the sanctuary. In the book of Acts, uh, what we find when you read the beginning of it, you see this kind of genesis of, uh, of the church as we know it. Groups of people coming together, exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, worshiping him, uh, praising him. We see in Acts chapter 2 that this body of believers is filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, that there is this visible, uh, audible representation of God's Holy Spirit in the midst uh, of his people. Uh, they are in unity. They're in one accord. They're focusing on uh, the great commission of sharing the message of hope, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ with those at this point, primarily uh, in Jerusalem. And then there is this sort of rub that begins uh, within the church uh, between the uh, he, uh, Jews, uh, the widows that were native uh, Hebrews and those that were from a Gentile or Greek background, and there's this distribution of food, and there kind of becomes this rub between them, and the church decides that it's not necessary for uh, the leaders of the church, the apostles, to kind of deal in these kind of matters. We need to raise up people who are capable and equipped and filled with the Spirit that can manage some of these internal issues that are happening within the church, and so they raised up a group of uh, brothers, and of them, uh, one of them was Stephen. And if you kind of go back to the last uh, paragraph or so in Acts chapter 6, we see that Stephen was acting, and the Bible says he was full of grace and full of the power of the Holy Spirit. He was performing uh, signs and wonders uh, among the people. But uh, from the outside of the church now, there becomes this uh, persecution, and they begin to press against uh, Stephen, and the religious leaders begin to twist the words that he has said. They say that uh, he said things that he uh, actually didn't say. They bring these accusations against him, and he is, in essence, brought before uh, the leaders in the temple, and they are trying him, and uh, he is uh, having to give an account of his preaching and of his message and of the belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we see the pattern of Stephen's message, what you see is that this is one of the longest uh, messages in the book of Acts in terms of uh, the preach message that we have a record of. This one from Stephen is one of uh, the longer ones. And as I mentioned in uh, first service, for us to get through Stephen's message, what took him probably uh, maybe 10 or 15 minutes to get through will take us about five weeks to get through. So we're good in our day of kind of extending things out a little bit, aren't we? But uh, we trust it will be for our benefit by the grace of the Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but what Stephen does in the beginning of this message is he reaches way back to the beginning of Israel's history. 
uh, to the time of Abraham when God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. And this story in verses 1 through 8 comes out of Genesis chapter 11 uh, through chapter 15. So you kind of have to go back and sort of read what's going on in chapter 11 through 15. It gives you a picture of what Stephen is kind of crunching into uh, just a few lines here in the beginning of his message. And so God spoke with Abraham when Abraham was in a place uh, called Ur. And if you have a Bible that has maps in the back, probably one of the first maps in the back of your Bible will talk about Abraham's journey. And you'll see uh, the beginning of his journey, which began in Ur of the Chaldees and then went to Haran and then all the way down uh, into the promised land, into a a place called uh, Shechem. And so it's important for us as a group of people to read the Bible from start to finish. I think it's important for you to have a daily devotion, a daily pattern of reading God's Word. And what's important about that, sometimes, you know, I understand that we kind of have to flip and sort of read uh, to kind of get a word from the Lord, but generally it's my belief that you should try to read periodically the Word of the Lord from Genesis through Revelation, because what that does is it gives you a big picture of God's salvation history. It gives you an understanding of how the nation of Israel began and God started working in humanity, calling people to himself, and you work through the scriptures and you see all of these types and foreshadows and pressing that show us why the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ took place and how the gospel is the fulfillment of so many things in the Old Testament. And if we just kind of pick and and read and we're not getting a sense of what is happening over the long narrative of scripture, we can miss some of the things that God would have us to see. And so it's important for you and I as believers to have a regular daily discipline, uh, both devotionally in God's word, but also reading from start to finish. One of the books that uh, we've utilized uh, for our younger children, it's called the Big Picture Storybook Bible. And it actually is a big uh, Bible that has big pictures in it. But the point of the big picture storybook Bible is to begin in Genesis and begin to tell the story of how everything in Scripture points us to salvation coming through Jesus Christ. So it tells us how the creation narrative gives us an understanding of what's going on with Jesus and what's going to happen with Jesus and how because of the sin that happened by Adam and Eve that there is a pointing to a greater Savior that is going to come. Even here in the story of Abraham and of Sarah and of what God is doing here, God is pointing us to that there is a great Redeemer who is going to come. And so Stephen is reaching back to remind these religious leaders of where they came from. And as we begin to unfold his sermon over the next few weeks, what you're going to begin to see is Stephen's point in reaching way back to Abraham is to show that Israel has always rejected God. Over and over and over again, Israel has rejected him time and time again. And so your rejection of Jesus is no different than what's been done 
before in your history. He begins showing line upon line, precept upon precept, what has been going on, the rejection of the prophets, of those who were called to them, uh, killing the prophets and other things, rejecting of God in the past. And what you are doing now in rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ is just part and parcel to what you've always done. And it gets him killed. And as we read through the book of Genesis and the rest, particularly of the Old Testament, what we have to understand as well in reading that is that the books of the Bible and the history in the Bible is often always not written in just a linear fashion. So when you and I probably were in elementary school or uh, middle school or high school and you took a history class, you generally begin at the time of the beginning of recorded history. And you begin to build upon that knowledge of recorded history. And then you begin a kind of a broader world history. And it kind of brings it up to modern times. And maybe uh, you kind of complete it out with a modern history or American history or other things. And so what happens is as you sort of take history in our mindset, you begin at the beginning. And then you begin to build on that until the present time, telling the story in chronological order. The Israelite viewpoint, particularly ancient Israelite approach, was not like that. They were interested in giving you a concept of a story, of a great story that is unfolding. And so sometimes uh, things are not chronologically in order. And so when you read through Genesis chapter 11 through chapter 15, what you find is some of those things are sort of out of order from the way Stephen tells it here in Acts chapter 7, which again goes back to my point, reading through the entirety of Scripture gives you an understanding of what God is trying to say in a very broad way to help you understand how God is unfolding his story. We have to be a people of the word. You don't hear anything else in this message, and I pray you will. We have to be a people of God's Word that are in His Word, reading it, savoring it, praying it, meditating upon it, thinking about it, talking about it together. We have to be a people of God's Word. So knowing the Bible, knowing its big picture, when we see the message of Stephen, and as he begins with this story of, of Abraham, if we go back to the book of Genesis, we see in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, the story begins to unfold with God speaking to Abraham. And it says, now the Lord said to Abram, Abram was his name at that point before it was changed to Abraham. He says, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. So Abraham was to leave his country, he was to leave his relatives, and he was to leave his father's house. Verse 2 says, and I will make you a great nation. So leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your father's house. Genesis 12, 2 says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So I, Abram, leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your father's house. And if you do these things, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. 
I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham was called to leave what was secure and familiar to him. Stephen points this out. Genesis chapter 12 points this out. In the beginning, Abram, Abraham was called to leave what was secure and familiar to him. He had to decide whether he was going to set aside the comfort of what was visible and immediate, a familiar country, the blessings of family, the blessings of relatives, for something that had yet to be realized but was nonetheless promised by God. He had to be willing to give up in order to gain. He had to decide whether he was going to abandon what family he still had for the favor of God's promises. Now remember, he had been promised an heir, but until this point, his wife Sarah was still infertile. So there was no children at this point to be an heir, just a promise that God had given him. He had to decide at this point whether to set aside what would naturally be his blessing in his country with his family, his inheritance as an heir of his father, for the inheritance that God described to him. God offers him so much, but the cost is significant. Reminds us of Jesus' words, doesn't it? Count the cost. You have to count the cost. Abraham must trust God to deliver what he has, what God has offered and be willing to give up what he already knows he has to gain. Now imagine if the Lord were to come to you and you were the heir of someone who was wealthy and God says to you, I want you to leave your father. I want you to leave his household. I want you to leave any hope of inheritance, of gain that you will get from your family. And I want you to follow me to a place that I'm going to show you. And as of yet, all you have is that promise. You're standing in the middle of the country that would naturally be yours to inherit. You're looking on your family and your relatives that you can see with your own eyes. You see your father who is the patriarch of your family. And God says, give it all up in order to go to a place that I'm going to show you. So all you have is a promise. Give up what is visible and what is before you in order to pursue something that I'm just promising you in this moment. Imagine the thoughts that have been going through Abraham's mind. But I think for many of us, God also asks us to give up in order to gain. And we see this played out in Stephen's life. He laid it all on the line. As he preached, as he shared, as he defended what he was doing, he held nothing back in pursuit of the calling of Christ, and it cost him greatly. but the reward was greater. When you read through the story, and I don't want to preempt where we're going, but the beauty of what happens at the end of Stephen's life is such a glorious testimony to the grace of God to work in our lives where we're willing to give up something that is precious to us in order to pursue something that is costly yet better. 
Hebrews 13 and 14 says, for we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. In essence, what is here, what is visible, what we can grab onto, what we can touch, that's really not the city that we're laboring for. What we're laboring for and what we're longing for is a city that we have even yet to lay eyes on. And I believe today that for some of us, the Lord is asking us to leave the security that we currently enjoy in order to step into a greater understanding of what God desires to do in your life and in my life. Walking with the Lord is not always a place of ease and comfort. As a pastor, when we stand in a pool of water and you baptize people who are new converts to the Lord, one of the things that you realize as they step out of the pool and as they begin to make the journey with Jesus is that it's going to be a difficult one. There is an enemy of our soul. There is an enemy who seeks to destroy and kill and devour and do all of those things. And we have to be ready for that enemy, which is why it's essential for the body of Christ to rally around and stand firm with those who have given their heart to Jesus to help kind of lead them along the way. Those who have stepped out of the pool of baptism, you have a responsibility and I have a responsibility. We can't simply say, oh, you're the pastor, you do the job. You have a responsibility to walk with these people in discipleship. When you see their burdens, when you see them burdened with things of the world, to step alongside and walk along and say, I know it's not going to be easy, but God has a plan. There is a greater city that we are looking for. This world is not our home. As Brother Jay already mentioned this morning, tonight we'll gather for uh, foot washing an act to remind us of what the Lord did on the night before he was betrayed. And what we will do is a much, clean, much more cleaned up version. We've talked about how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and probably what those feet look like. Most of those who will come tonight, I'm sure, will do a good scrubbing before you come because that's our nature. We don't want to be embarrassed. We want it to be as dignified as we can. But ultimately, when it happens, it's going to be a humbling experience. Standing in a pool of water, telling people your story is a humbling experience, is it not? But we do it because God has called us to these things. We allow ourselves to be vulnerable because we expect great things that the Lord is going to do. Stephen shared that God had called Abraham to leave what was familiar in order to inherit God's promises. And Abraham was obedient to leave his homeland, but he came to a crossroads. And in your walk with the Lord, you will also come to a crossroads. There will be a time and season in your life where you are following Jesus and you will come to a crossroads in your life because crossroads are inevitable. Abraham left Ur as God had told him, but he did not go straight to Canaan. Genesis chapter 15 tells us that Abraham got the word in Ur of the Chaldees that he was to leave and that he was to go to Haran. Stephen repeats that here, but 
I'm mean, sorry, he was to go to Canaan. But what does Abram, Abraham do? He leaves Ur of the Chaldees, and where does he go next? He goes to Haran. Now, if you look on that map in the back of your Bible, what you'll see is that Haran is probably about 75 or 100 miles from where Abraham was in Ur. But to get to the promised land was about 500 or so miles away, probably at least a month's journey. And what does both Stephen and the Genesis account say that Abraham did in Haran? It doesn't say he uh, got up in Motel 6 and kind of hung out for the evening until he was refreshed enough to continue on his journey. It says that Abram, Abraham settled there. He settled in Haran. Now, Haran is not the promised land. It's not the place where God said, leave your country, leave your family, leave your relatives, go to the place I'm going to tell you. Haran is only about 75 or 100 miles away. Two, three days journey maybe. Close enough to still get back. Close enough to still think. But Abraham didn't just go to Haran. He went to Haran and who did he bring with him? He brought his father and his father's household. But didn't God say, leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your father's household and go to the place that I am going to call you. Scripture tells us that it wasn't until after Abraham's father died in Haran that God reminded Abraham that he was to move on to Canaan. And it's interesting, particularly in this story, that Haran means crossroads. The word Haran means crossroads. Abraham came to the crossroads, and he settled in the crossroads. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us clearly if Abraham was hesitant about going to the promised land, or if there was some other reason that he stopped and settled in Haran, but the fact is that he was at a crossroads. He was close enough to Ur to go back if necessary. He still hadn't fully given up what God had asked. He still had his father's house. He still had his chance at his inheritance. He still had his relatives close by. He had left home, but things were pretty familiar. I remember as a young man, uh, probably about 15, 16 years old, feeling a call to vocational ministry, not knowing what that was going to look like, not knowing where it was going to take me, and going and talking to my pastor at the time. And the pastor at the time said, if you feel called of the Lord, then what you need to do is just get your feet wet and see if that's what God is calling you to do. So getting my feet wet meant getting my feet wet literally. He uh, very quickly had me doing baptisms. Uh, he offered me to preach a sermon with no real uh, discussion of what that looked like. The people that sat through that first message, the Lord blessed them. Uh, and, and doing all sorts of things to get my feet wet to see if that's what was God truly calling me to do. And as God began to lead and God began uh, to direct, I began to sense that that was a firm call of God in my life. But one of the things I enjoyed about my life was that I lived on my, uh, my mother's father's family farm. I looked across the road, and I would see my aunt and uncle. I looked across the field, and I saw my grandma and granddad. I looked across the field this way, and I saw my other aunt and uncle and my cousins. I looked across the road this way, and I saw another cousin. And I'd drive a little farther past the fields on this side, and I'd see another uncle and his family. The family all lived there. I was comfortable. 
in that place. I enjoyed my family. I enjoyed the fellowship of the people in which we were around. In fact, to that point, to my knowledge, no one had left the area on either side of my family in which I grew up. On my mom's side and on my dad's side, everyone probably lived within a 30 to 40 minute radius of where I grew up. Even today, very few on either side have moved away. And so as the Lord began to develop that uh, call in my life, I uh, graduated high school and I did a few classes in college, quit college, and took a year off and worked for my dad who was in construction. And the pastor was still gracious and allowing me to serve in the church and allowing me to, to learn and to do things. And I thought this was what God had for me, the grace of being able to serve in the church, but also be around my family and enjoy the opportunities and the benefits of all of that. But God began stirring in that year that I worked for my dad. And what continually came to my mind is, is this going to be the rest of your life? Is this going to be the rest of your life? And you need to be developed and you need to get some training. I've explained to you before how ignorant I was in the Word. And so God began stirring. And God didn't take me an hour away. He took me 12 hours away. As far as I knew, when I left for Tennessee at college, there was no one on that college campus or in that city that I had ever met before. My parents took me in one day. We stayed in a hotel one night. The next morning we got up. I moved into the dorm, and by noon my parents had gone. That was the first time uh, that I had ever moved away or any one of my family had moved away in that kind of context. And so here I was, 12 hours away, sitting wondering what in the world uh, I was doing. Fairly introverted during that time, and I remember the first few nights in college while the other guys and other people were out kind of getting to know one another and having fun. By 9 o'clock, I was in bed with the lights out. <laughs> Sometimes you get at a crossroads and you got to decide, are you going to stay with what's secure and familiar? Or are you going to move on and do something that God has called you to do? And forsake what is secure and familiar in order to go into areas that are unfamiliar and do have a cost. Some of you today are in Haran. You're at the crossroads. You're at the crossroads. Like Abraham, there are probably some important things that need to happen. What did Abraham do in Haran? God said, leave your family, leave your father's house, leave all of this in Ur. Abraham brought him with him. He gets to the crossroads. His father dies at the crossroads. And he had to, <clears throat> he had to bury his father at the crossroads. Some of you are at the crossroads today, and there's probably some things that you need to bury. There's some things that will keep you from stepping into the destiny that God has for you unless you're willing to dig a hole and bury them and say goodbye. Because right now, what you have to go on is only God's promise. You're at the crossroads. Abram didn't have an heir. There was no promise that he would get a great inheritance. Only the command to go, and when you get there, I will give it to you. but you're at the crossroads. Maybe you need to make a change in your life. Maybe there is 
this time in your life and this day that you're sitting underneath this message to tell you that you're at a crossroads and God is saying, you've just kind of had your foot on spiritual things, but I'm calling you to give up some things in order to step into some greater things. Now, what you need to know is that there do come with a cost. They do come with a cost. Many of you are aware with my mom's passing uh, at the end of October, I love my mom. I talked to my mom several times throughout the week, almost every Sunday, mo- Sunday afternoon after church, I'd call my mom and ask how church went. And she'd tell me how her church went. And you don't think there's been times over these last several months when I've thought about my mom's passing and I think of the years that I've been away, but the time I could have had had I stayed. There's a cost. There's a cost to choosing, to following the promises of God. And there's sometimes that you've got to bury some things at the crossroads and say that my mind is set towards the Lord. (coughs) I'm sure that many of you who have walked with the Lord throughout your life, you can point to a time of crossroads. I could ask you to stand and testify about it because it's right in your mind right here, right now, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? There's been times where God's told you give up in order to gain. Abraham had to bury his father in Haran at the crossroads, and he had to leave Haran in order to get to the promises that God had for him. Which brings me to the final point, is that you and I must trust that God will fulfill his promises. We have to trust that God will fulfill his promises. Stephen says in Acts 7, the first part, that God gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. Circumcision was a cutting of the flesh of the male child on the eighth day after birth. It's a ritual that is still practiced among the Orthodox uh, Jews today. And God also shared that there would be some difficult challenges ahead for the nation of Israel. There would be bondage, but after bondage, they would come and they would worship the Lord in that promised land. God told Abraham that the covenant of circumcision would be the sign of the covenant. But how can you circumcise an heir which you don't have? The sign of circumcision was the down payment that the promise would be fulfilled. For you and I, what is our down payment? What do we look to to tell us that God's promises are yes and amen? Again, it comes back to his holy word. It comes back to us spending time in God's word, empowered by the Holy Spirit to illuminate the scriptures for us that give us life, that help us to realize that there are greater promises than the things outside of these walls and what they promise us. The world promises you a lot. The world promises you a good time. The world promises you fame. The world promises you opportunity. 
There's a lot of things that the world begins to give to you, particularly if you're willing to follow it. But what you find with people who are hard after the world, they even take within their body the penalty of living for the world. Have you seen someone who has invested everything they have into the world? Have you seen how it ravages them, even physically, emotionally? You and I are called to believe God's promises, that if we give up the things of the world here, that we can push hard towards the Lord. Yes, there will be challenges. Yes, there will be difficulties, but he has given us the down payment that his promises are yes and amen. Ephesians 1 and 4 says, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance, which is applied towards our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. So as you invest your time in God's word, as it is illuminated by his Holy Spirit, this is applied towards our heart and it results in God's exaltation and Jesus' glory being made known in the earth. There's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian. There's a lot of people who say, yes, I love Jesus. But they're not trusting in the down payment. And so they find themselves trying to scurry after things of the world instead of longing after the Lord. They find themselves resting at the crossroads in Haran, trying to keep resurrected all the things that God says kill and let die. People, addictions, relationships, things that are not good for you, things that you may watch, things that you may read, things that you look after, desire after. God says, now you're at the crossroads. You have to deal with it. You have to commit it to him. Because the glory of this is that as we find ourselves looking to the Lord and walking in his way and walking in his path and following after him and longing after his word and longing after his spirit, is that you and I realize that the whole story is not about us. Oftentimes we pray and all of our prayers are about us, aren't they? But The story is really about how you fit into God's sovereign plan to exalt Jesus in the earth. What is going on in your life is a page in the story, a piece in the story that God is writing for his glory that Jesus would be exalted. And so as you follow after the promises of God and as you long after the promises that God has set before you and that God has put in his word, you become a piece of the story that exalts Jesus. We're going to stand in just a moment. And we are going to pray. I talked about being at a crossroads. And I talked about some things that need to be buried. For some of you, some of us, there were things that popped right in our mind. There were things that were right here. Right in the front. That said, that's what I need to bury. You can't move on into the promised land until you're willing to bury Terah in Haran. 
When you bury Terah in Haran, God will remind you, I called you to leave your country, to leave your relatives, to leave your father's house. In order that, I would give you a new country and I will make you a blessing and you will be a blessing to the whole earth. Those whom you bless, I will bless. Those whom you curse, I will curse. But today you're at a crossroads. Today you're at a crossroads and God is calling you to greater things. The goal with this message this morning is to push us out of the crossroads into the destiny that God's called us to do. You should feel pressure right now. By the grace of the Holy Spirit to push you out of Haran and to move 500 miles away from where you've been living. Let's stand and pray together. I'm going to invite you to come. <clears throat> if you need prayer this morning, had a wonderful prayer time in the first service. If you need prayer this morning, you need God to touch you, you need God to help you, you need someone to walk alongside of you. That's why we're here. That's what the body of Christ is for. You are not alone. You are not alone. And so we're going to pray and ask God to uh, begin to move some people out of Haran from the crossroads into the promises that he has for them. If you're willing uh, to pray with some of these brothers and sisters who may come, I'm going to invite you just to come and stand and be ready uh, to pray as we sing and worship and seek the Lord together. Heavenly Father, in this moment, I just ask you, Lord, to move upon hearts. God, we don't want to be like the ancient Israelites who time and time and time again just sort of circled around. They did not follow you. You often called them a stiff-necked people. They didn't want to turn. They didn't want to follow after you. <clears throat> God, we don't want to be a stiff-necked people. Lord, we don't want to settle <clears throat> in Haran at the crossroads. God, there's things in our life that we need to bury, that we need to say goodbye to that aren't healthy for us, Lord God, that aren't in your plan for us, that are a diversion God, I pray that today you would help us to bury those things. That we can step into your promise. I pray, God, by your grace and by your mercy, Lord Jesus, that you would move upon your people. God, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there were some here today that said there are some things I need to give up. I need to move on past. And God, I need your help to do so. Maybe you've tried in the past. Let today be the day of deliverance for you. Let today be the day of God's reconfirmation of his promises. I'm going to invite you to come as we pray, as we sing, 
as we lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you need prayer, you need help, please come this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you again for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope you enjoyed today's message and that it encouraged you to take a step closer to Jesus. Please reach out to us if there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about. To get more information about Riverstone Church, you can visit riverstonechurch.net. God bless you this week, and may you walk in all of Christ's promises and plans for your life.